Well, Leah Dinez Rodriguez Espada was surprised when she pulled up on a crisp Saturday morning in Rochester, New York, to participate in the Wegman Family 5K race just a little bit late. It was her first 5K race. She was only 12 years old at the time. Her parents were running late. Her mom dropped her off at the start line and went to park the car. And by the time this young lady got up to the starting line of the race, uh, the gun had went off to start the race just before she arrived. So she jumped into the closest pack of runners she could see and just took off. Her mother expected to wait less than an hour, maybe about 40 minutes, for her daughter to complete this race. And after an hour had passed, both the young lady and her mother began to be very concerned about where they were. After an hour, this girl asked those that were running beside of her what was going on and where was the finish line? And one of the kids replied to her, you, have, you are in the Flower City Half Marathon and you are only about a third of the way through. Now this girl, uh, believe it or not, decided to stay in the race and completed a half marathon, although she had only trained for a 5K, which is quite a feat. That's going from 3.1 miles to 13.1 miles uh, without any kind of training to do so. Of course, her mother was incredibly relieved, but finally uh, she crossed the finish line. Her mother was actually shocked that this girl uh, had found a way to get in a race she did not train for and to complete it. You know, things are not always what they seem. And sometimes we get caught up in churches and in our Christian lives thinking certain things are right and faithful and all the while being incredibly mistaken. You know, oftentimes in America we have mistaken big churches for good churches. We've mistaken well-known churches for faithful churches. We become enamored by big, beautiful buildings, elaborate programs, and polished productions. The whole time, that church may or may not actually be faithful by God's standards. As you look at these churches in Revelation 2 and 3, you notice a couple things are true. And that is that Jesus is in and among his people in his church. He knows the condition of the people. He knows where they are. He knows exactly what's going on. In one case, he said, I know that you're dead even though you think you're alive. And Jesus gets right down to the heart of the matter, uh, addressing these seven churches in Asia Minor with a letter. Each letter, many people believe, was to be read in each individual church, although there was a specific message for each of the seven churches. Now, I decided when I embarked upon this series that I was not going to bog down in chapter 2 and 3 and spend 7 or 8 weeks discussing each church, although I could, and in some cases it's actually kind of tempting to do. But I began to notice a pattern as I read through these uh, 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 letters to the churches in chapters 2 and 3 and decided I was actually going to break these sermons up into only two parts. Because really you've got two things going on here. In one instance you've got Jesus commending a church for something it's doing right. And then on the other hand, you've got Jesus condemning some of the churches for things they're doing wrong. And I thought to myself, well, that's a pretty good way to break up these two chapters. 
And first of all, today we're going to look at marks of a faithful church. We're going to see Jesus point out to these churches three different areas in which a church that is being faithful to God can be noted for. And when Jesus says, look, I see you guys doing this and I commend you for doing this, we can be sure that when our church, or any church for that matter, is doing those certain things, we can be sure that Jesus considers a church to be faithful. Folks, i got to tell you, the only thing that really matters at the end of the day is does Jesus believe the church is faithful? Not does the community think the church is popular, not is the pastor likable and on television, uh, not does uh, there a large following and a good number of Instagram connections. That has nothing to do with what a faithful church is. A faithful church can only be called faithful by the standard of the Lord Jesus Christ. I got to tell you, folks, if everybody else in the world thinks that River City Baptist Church is a success, but Jesus thinks it's a failure, then it is a failure. And if everybody in the community thinks a church is a failure, but Jesus calls it a success, that church is a success. So what are the marks of a faithful church? Number one, I want you to see the first mark of a faithful church is that it is faithful, or excuse me, fruitful labor for the Lord. Now let's go to chapter 2 and start here in the church of Ephesus. In fact, in verses 2 and 3 here, you find the outline for the whole message in verses 2 and 3. Now you see some of these character qualities in the other churches, but it's really interesting that Jesus condenses it right here in chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, and we see all three of these characteristics in these two verses. Now we're going to jump around a little bit. We're going to see how other churches also in these two chapters displayed this particular character quality. But notice, if you will, verse number two. I know your works, your labor, and your patience. The idea there of labor, the word labor there in its original language is the word toil. And it is, it is a word that describes people who are performing an action to the point of exhaustion. Now, any of you that do any kind of manual labor outside, uh, building houses, working on roofs, installing uh, plumbing and air conditioning units, or any kind of uh, manual physical labor, you probably know a little bit better than, than some what it means to work to the point of exhaustion. You give yourself to a project, you give yourself to it for an entire day, the hot Florida sun beats down on your head and your neck, and when it's all said and done, you can't think of anything more inviting than a, maybe a cold shower and an air-conditioned living room and a nice meal and just to sit down and do nothing else. We can understand what it means to labor. In fact, uh, I would even say those of us that don't labor physically so much, but there can be also mental and spiritual labor that, that forces you into a weariness after hours and hours of research or hours and hours of working with people or hours and hours of solving problems. Folks, listen, all of us probably know in some level what it means to labor to the point of exhaustion. But my question is this, have you ever experienced that in your service for the Lord Jesus Christ? 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3 says, Remembering before our God and Father your work of faith, labor of love, and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Later in the same book, Paul gives a testimony of his ministry among the Thessalonians, and he says this, For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. Here's a better question. Have you ever gotten your hands dirty in God's work? 
Have you ever collapsed in bed after a day of serving at an event or uh, through your regular ministry where you just literally exhausted and spent yourself in God's work? Please, I'm not suggesting to you that we should all uh, work so hard in ministry that we neglect our families, we neglect our careers, and so on and so forth. But i got to tell you, most Christians that I have interaction with are not at risk of being burned out they are at risk of not being fired up at all. And it's very easy to see this. I mean, you look at maybe it's events. It looks at areas of service in the church. And the old saying goes that 10% of the people do 90% of the work in the church. And I thank God that it's not that way at River City Baptist Church. There's well over 100 adult volunteers in our church serving God in different areas. So this is not a message to slam anybody. But I'm telling you, maybe you're new or maybe you've been here a while, and maybe you just find yourself kind of loitering around the church. You know, some places you can get arrested for loitering. Maybe they need to start practicing that at the church. Just kind of loitering around, looking around, loafing around, standing around, watching around. And by the way, those that are least involved in the details of the work of the church are those that are the quickest to criticize and work against the work of the church. Jesus says in chapter 2, verse 19, that the church of Pergamos was, excuse me, the church of Thyatira was also involved in faithful ministry for the Lord. Look at verse 19 of chapter 2. I know your works, love, service, faith, and your patience, and for your works, and the last are more than the first. So in verse chapter 2, verse 19, we see, we see motivations, if you will, or ways in which Christian service should be conducted. Notice he says here in verse 19, I know your works love, service, and faith. I would say to you that Christian service, genuine Christian work is first and foremost motivated by love. Isn't that what he said to the Thessalonians? Your work of faith, your labor of love. You probably heard that phrase before. That was a labor of love. Meaning what? I did it because I love somebody. I did it because I loved this group. I did it in this case because I loved my church. I did it because I love people that are without Jesus. I did it because I love people that Jesus loves. It's motivated by love. And all genuine Christian ministry is first and foremost motivated by Christian love. I mean, think about it. Isn't that how Christ's relationship with us began in the first place? For God so what? Love the world that he gave. My love for God... My love for others and my love for people that need Jesus is directly in proportionate to my service of God and his church and of others. Secondly, in verse number 19, he tells us also that Christian ministry is conducted in faithfulness. Notice here he says, I know your works, love, service, watch this verse, fray, uh, faith. Now sometimes in the Bible, the word faith, it, it means just exactly what you would think it makes. Like, it uh, means like trusting God or casting your dependence on God. There are other times that the word faith uh, means actually faithfulness. That's also true in the fruits of the Spirit. Faithfulness is meant there, not just faith. A fruit of the Spirit is faithfulness. And so sometimes you'll see that word translated just faith, but the author's intention is to, is to co communicate the idea of faithfulness. What is faithfulness? Faithfulness is operating on the same principles, the same functions and the same operations over and over and over and over again. When you find somebody that's been married for 30, 40, 50 years, what do you say? Man, thank God they've been faithful to their spouse. And by the way, guys, it seems like 
faithfulness is on hard times in the church of Jesus Christ today. Let me give you a couple examples. These are real and true statistics that, that people are propagating post-COVID in the church. That less than 50% of people in the church regularly attend uh, the services of a church monthly. Meaning, meaning less than half of the people that go to church go to church regularly, meaning every single week. Do you know the average church, the average church as far as giving only has 10 to 17% of its members that actually tithe? Now we did a report this week, I was just curious as I was thinking about this and thank God we have 45% of our people that give. That doesn't mean they tithe, it means they give. 45% though, could you imagine if 100% of us actually gave what could maybe possibly happen in the Lord's work and with the Lord's uh, service if we all actually did? I mean, I mean, I, I don't want you to look at your neighbor and say, is it you or is it me? But you want to know what's even worse? Sometimes it takes people a while to catch on. Some people, at times, it gets people a while to really get going, really get connected, really get faithful, really get serving. I get that. Let me tell you things that bother me far worse than that. Getting people going is keeping people going. Faithfulness is not measured in days, people. It's measured in decades. Faithfulness is not like, I did this for three months. I did this for a year. Faithfulness is like staying where God puts you and faithfully executing your duties over and over and over and over again. This is why I so appreciate and am, and, and am fiercely tethered to people like Dave and Darlene Andrews back there that, that started coming to this church in the late 70s. And since the 70s, 1970s, have been faithfully serving God, not at a lesser capacity or a lower capacity, but even in a greater capacity, in a consistent capacity for like 40-some years. That's where your admiration for people is seen when somebody like Mona Eastwood, for example, still teaches our children and still serves our kids and in nurseries over and over. Greg and Debbie Combs, who have been here since the 80s, faithfully laboring. Are y'all catching on to what I'm saying here? I'm trying to tell you, folks, it's one thing to get something started. It's one thing to begin giving. It's one thing to serve for a little while. It's one thing to volunteer at the church for like a month. But then you know what? It requires faithfulness to continue it going over the course of a lifetime in fact look at verse number 19 look at the end of verse I love this it says this as your as for your works the last are more than the first some people's faithfulness does this it goes up and then in time it just starts a slow decline my son's in cross country right now and he finished his uh, second race this week, and I was, we were looking at his time, and he, he shaved like two and a half minutes off of his time uh, from his first race. And then I asked him, though, when we were riding home, I said, what were your splits? Now, you guys know if you're, if you're in running, you, if you're in a, especially in shorter races, like three to six miles or something like that, your splits matter. Your splits are supposed to get tighter, not wider. Meaning your first mile should be slower than your second mile, and your third mile should be slower than your first mile. Why is that? Because if it's not, that means you didn't reserve enough energy in mile one and two for mile three. And this is exactly what happens with so many people in their lives in the church. They go so fast, so furious, so energetic in the Lord's work, and then one, two, five years later, you don't even see them anymore. I can't even believe the amount of people that will say, I want to do this, and I want to serve here, and I want to be involved in this, only to find that like six months later, they don't even go to church anymore. 
Folks, listen, do you realize one of the most jacked up churches in the Bible is the church at Corinth? I'm talking about whacked out people. I'm talking about messed up. I'm talking about people problems, immorality problems, preacher problems, disunity problems. And did you know not one time did Paul tell that church or anybody in that church to leave that church? Not one time. But faithfully, 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 faithfully serve God where you are. Now, folks, I'm here to tell you, it's about time some of us pick up a piece of the rope that we're all tugging on and get to tugging yourself. And when your hands are tired and weary and you don't want to tug anymore, just hang in there and tug some more. Lean on the person next to you. Let them pull for you and hold onto their waist while they're tugging. But don't get off that rope. This is not time to back off the road. This is not time to start serving God. These churches were commended because they faithfully and laboriously gave their lives to the Lord in service. Number two, not only do you see faithful labor for the Lord, number two, you see fervent adherence to sound doctrine. Now back up to chapter two, verse two, and look at this. He says, uh, and at the middle, at the, at, the, uh, at the end of the, well, let me just read it again. I know your works, your labor, your patience, watch this, and that you cannot bear those who are evil, and you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. You know, the church at Ephesus is one that Paul spent a significant amount of time in, at least two plus years in his first ministry stint. Paul was there until Acts 20, all the way from, I believe it's Acts 18, all the way to Acts 20. Paul was in that one location. And remember what happens in Acts chapter 20? Paul is leaving Ephesus to return to Jerusalem for the last time. He knows he's going to go to Jerusalem, and then he's going to ultimately be sentenced back to Rome for ultimate imprisonment and death. And do you remember the scene in Acts chapter number 20? In Acts chapter number 20, he pulls a group of church leaders together. And you know who those church leaders was? They were the elders of what church? Ephesus. And in that final address to the church of Ephesus before he is going to go, he's later going to install Timothy as the pastor. And you read about that in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 3. But here's Paul. He's given his life to this church for two years. He's getting ready to leave. And listen to what he says to them in Acts chapter 20, verse 28 through 31. He says to these preachers, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he has obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, they will rise, uh, rise men speaking twisted things to draw disciples after them. He says, therefore, be alert. Acts 20 and verse number 31. Be alert. It's like Paul knew, as soon as I go out of town, they're going to start creeping in. They're going to start teaching false doctrine. They're going to try to get disciples to go away from the gospel. And folks, do you think it's any different in 2023 that there are false teachers, polished teachers in the church trying to, trying to, trying to stop sound doctrine and infiltrate the church of God with teaching that is against the Bible? How do we as a church stay faithful to sound doctrine? Number one, it's when we embrace the scripture. We embrace the scripture. Listen to chapter three of Revelation, verse eight. You have kept my word, Jesus says. Chapter three, verse 10. You have kept my word and you have not denied my name. Folks, I want to tell you what this is fundamentally about today. Can I help you with this? What is this all about? 
What is sound doctrine all about? It's about two things. It's about the word of God and the name of Jesus Christ. Folks, that's why we are here. We are not here to work around the word of God. We are not here to work around the name of Jesus Christ. We are here to preach the word of God and lift up the name of Jesus Christ. Now listen, if you're not into that, it would be very easy for me to see how you could fall prey to uh, uh, to some fancy church or teacher who, who does everything except for preach the Bible and lift up the name of Jesus Christ. Folks, listen, I know it's not super fancy around here. I know most churches don't take 10 minutes to read. 30-some verses of the Bible in the church service. I know there's not a whole lot of extra stuff going around here, but I'm telling you this. As long as I'm here and as long as you're here, we should be about the Word of God and the name of Jesus Christ. That's what we should be concerning ourselves with. And it all starts when you embrace that. You'll get sucked into false doctrine so fast if you do not embrace the Bible and embrace the name of Jesus Christ above all things. Number two, they exercise spiritual discernment. In chapter 2, middle of the verse, it says, And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not. That's called spiritual discernment. Spiritual discernment. Philippians chapter 1, verse 9. It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and with all discernment. What about the Bereans in Acts chapter 17? When, when the Bible commends them and says they receive the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if those things were so. My friend, if you're the right kind of Christian, you're not depending on me to be the person that feeds you. You should be sitting there with a Bible open in your lap, listening to the word of God, and looking at the Bible and asking yourself this, Christian, this question. Is this preacher telling me what the Bible says? And if that preacher is not telling you what the Bible says, listen very carefully. There's one thing you do with a preacher that doesn't tell you what the Bible says. Ready? Run! Like run! Fast as you can run, run! But you know what happens so many times because they're polished because they're sharp because there's an amazing production because they're influential because they're on fox news or whatever thing might be we follow them to our own spiritual demise you know i'm not a rapper of course couldn't be it'd be really odd if i was but you know interesting a popular song several years ago that's still popular with kids today but i mean it's not as New, but was from Lecrae. It's a song called Church Clap. There's a little dance that goes with it. My kids love it. They used to do it all the time. But listen to this. In the second verse of this song, listen to this. For too long, the church churches have been clapping at weak sermons, leaving the weak hurt. No one's changed by Sunday's service. We need discernment. Check what you be affirming. That's cool, right? I sounded cool when I said that. Because <laughs> a church can be full of members and empty in conversions. Folks, that is solid. We clap at church when we should be crying at church. 
We're embracing what is said as if it's just all true. Listen, folks, that should not be the way a faithful church is. If it's wrong, it's wrong, and the preacher should be willing to say it's wrong. If it's right, it's right, and the preacher should be willing to say it's right. And every person in the church that is about sound doctrine, when their preacher is clapping over the right things, they should clap with him. And when their preacher is warning over the wrong things, they should be encouraging. That's right, brother. That's what we want. We don't want to be led astray. It's kind of like the old World War II, uh, 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 what is it called, a chaplain that came to his, uh, his soldiers and said, it, it said, I just want you guys to know, uh, I don't really believe in hell. And the one guy, a soldier, looked at him and said, let me tell you something. If, if you don't believe in hell, then we don't need you. What good does it do to have a teacher or a preacher or a church that doesn't preach the word of God? And then you see him eliminating false teaching. And you see this all throughout. Take this woman and cast her out. Get away from these teachers. The Nicolaitans, you hate them. That's a good thing, he says. Titus chapter 1 verse 9 says this. He must hold, speaking of the pastor, firm to the trustworthy word as it is taught. So that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also rebuke those who contradict it. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty, empty talkers, deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced. Since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful game what they ought not teach, therefore rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and commandments of the people who turn away from truth. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for any good work. He says, but as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. That's in the Bible, folks. When there's false teaching, the pastor should be warning the pastor should be teaching what is true, and the people should be following the word of God and rejecting what is false. In 2013, the Bay Bridge in California, which connects Oakland to San Francisco, boasted of transporting 260,000 cars a day between the two cities. Yet on Wednesday, March 27, 2013, the Caltrans discovered disclosed to the public that more than a third of 96 rods that were used to strengthen one of the spans near Yerba Buena Island had snapped when the workers tightened the nuts used to hold them in place. This led to a massive investigation of the bolts and rods to determine whether traffic could be opened as planned in Labor Day just a few months away. Steel bolts on the New Bay Bridge Eastern Span provided by the same company that supplies 32 rods that failed when they were tightened must now go under rigorous testing to determine if they are also at risk of cracking. He said, I quote, I do not know whether or not we can count on the 2010 bolts yet. If the 2010 bolts are in the same category as the 2008 bolts, they must be changed before we open up the bridge. I mean, this is not rocket science, people. If your bolts and your rods cannot hold up the bridge, you don't send people across the bridge to get from Oakland to San Francisco. Folks, listen to me. The doctrine of the church are the bolts and the rods. And if we're going to get people from hell to heaven, from the devil to Jesus, we better make sure our bolts and our rods are in correct order. That's good. That's good. Finally, what is the mark of a faithful church? I love this. This is encouraging. It is they are faithful in enduring suffering. They're faithful in enduring suffering. Back up to chapter 2, verse 3 again as we look at this as our example. Verse 3. And you have persevered. And have patience and have labored for my name's 
sake and have not become weary. Persevering in patience. Staying faithful when suffering. James 1, 2 says, count it all joys, my brothers, when you meet various trials of, uh, excuse me, trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. 1 Peter 5.10, and after you have suffered a little while, the, great, the God of all grace who has called you uh, to his eternal glory in Christ, he will restore you, confirm you, strengthen you, and establish you. And would you know that later on, the church of Smyrna and the church of Philadelphia are the only two churches that Jesus says nothing negative to. You want to know why? Because in both cases, these churches had faithfully withstood suffering. And it continued to follow Jesus Christ. You know, in Smyrna, under Emperor Domitian, who was the emperor of Rome at that time, it had become a capital offense to refuse to offer a yearly sacrifice to the emperor. Many of you have heard of church history and would know that Polycarp, as an example, was the pastor of Smyrna when he was martyred about 50 years later after John died. Smyrna comes from the same root word that the word myrrh does in the Bible, Smyrna. And myrrh in the New Testament was used in reference to death. That's why when they brought their gifts to Jesus, gold, frankincense, and what? Myrrh. Why did they bring myrrh to a baby? To honor his pending death that was coming. Myrrh was associated with death. And myrrh was a flower that was crushed to produce an oil and an aroma that brought forth a good uh, savor to those who had it. Folks, what God is saying to us is no doubt that churches need to be more and most like Smyrna. Churches that can be crushed. People that can be crushed. And instead of turning sour, turn sweet. And under the weight and burden of trouble and trials, stay faithful to God. I mean, look what he says in verse number 9. He says, I know your works, tribulation and poverty, although you are rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they're Jews that are not, but they are the synagogue of Satan. And as we close this sermon today, don't get, don't get excited like I'm almost done, but as we close this today, I want to give you five statements about suffering that God gives to these churches. And folks, I know, I know, I know Stephen mentioned it in the, in the song service. Uh, I have no doubt about it. There is a good deal of suffering in this auditorium today. It may not be directly related to the suffering that these churches are going through, but I'm talking about there's physical suffering, there's family suffering, there's financial suffering, there's all kinds of suffering. There are young people in the, in the crucible making decisions about their future and their lives. And that, that's, there's, a, there's a weight there. There's a difficulty there. There's young families trying to navigate raising all their kids and how to, how to, how to keep it all in balance. And look, it's tough. There's a grind to this. And when that grind is on you and those difficulties are on you, there's some things God wants you to know about suffering. Number one, when you suffer, you realize that your true riches are in heaven. That's what he says in verse number nine. I know your works, your tribulation of poverty. Watch this in parentheses. But you are rich. You guys are going through it here, but never forget this. You're actually rich. Luke chapter 12, verse 21 says, So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. You guys know this. You can have everything this world could ever offer you, but if you don't have Jesus, you don't have what you really need. And if you don't have all the money and the stuff that this world would afford you and that you would like to have, but you've got Jesus, you are rich indeed, right? 1 Corinthians chapter 6 Verse 16 says, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, yet possessing everything. 
in the late 2010s, the song Blessings came out, which was an enormous encouragement to so many people. At the very end of the song, she says these words, When friends betray us, and when darkness seems to win, we know the pain reminds this heart that this is not our home. Folks, you're richer than you could have ever dreamed. You have more in your relationship with Christ than this world could ever give you, and you're happier and better for it, aren't you? Do not look at envy, at people and their money, and their accounts, and their houses, and their accesses. Friend, don't envy that. They should envy you. Because you've got a peace that no dollar amount could ever purchase for you. You've got something in your family and treasures in your relationship with Christ that, 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 that no 401k can solve over the course of your lifetime. Friend, you're rich if you've got Jesus Christ. Number two, we, we need to refuse to fear suffering because we can trust God for strength. Look at verse 10. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Do not fear that. John 6, 33, in this world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. This is one of the greatest things about being a Christian, friend. If you do suffer and you suffer badly and get the worst news you could possibly get as a person, which would be, I guess, I'm going to die. God still says, you don't have to fear that. Think about that. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. What a blessing. What a blessing to know that when you cross the chilly waters of the Jordan River in death, Jesus is going to take you by the hand and walk right across with you. Number three, we recognize that suffering is a means of shaping and testing our faith. Look at the middle of verse number 10. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. John MacArthur said these words, trials and persecution strengthen and refine genuine saving faith, but destroy false faith. Genuine believers, when they are tested, they are strengthened, they are fortified, they are stronger, they come out better. The people that have no genuine relationship with Christ, trials crush them, ruin them, and wipe them out. And you know that's true. You know that the reason you are allowed to go through suffering and testing is so that God can strengthen you and shape and mold you. Number four, we rejoice. Listen, I love this. We rejoice that all suffering is temporary and under God's direct control. Look at here at the end of verse number 10. He says that you may be tested and you will have tribulation 10 days. Sometimes those 10 days can be very long. Sometimes those 10 days can be 10 years. I don't know if he's speaking specifically or figuratively. It really doesn't matter, right? 10 days of suffering, 10 years of suffering, 10, 10 decades of suffering. Here's the bottom line. It will come to pass. He said, you're going to suffer, but here's the limit. And by the way, guess who said the limit on that suffering? God did. God said, here's the amount of suffering I'm going to let you have. Ten days. Aren't you glad for that? Aren't you glad to know that when God allows you to walk into a fiery furnace, he knows exactly how long you're going to be there. He knows that you're not going to be there forever. And when God's ready to, he's going to turn that fire down and pull you out of it. And you'll be more refined like gold when you're done. But I rejoice in that. If I'm suffering, I must need to be suffering. Isn't that what 1 Peter says? If 
need be you are suffering through manifold temptations? If you're in a trial today, listen very carefully. I, 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 look, you might go to another church and get something different, but let me just help you with this. If you're in a trial today, you need it. And even better, God's in control of it. And his hand is on it. And when God's ready for it to be done, it'll be done. But it won't be forever. Which leads me to number five. I rejoice that the Lord will reward faithful endurance. Verse number 10, which is, which is actually a, a statement that I can make about all these churches. Verse 7, verse 11, or excuse me, verse 10 at the end part. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. At every one of these churches it says this. If you overcome, this is what I'm going to do. If you overcome, this is what I'm going to do. Folks, listen. God is so good and faithful to us. He allows us to go through the suffering. He's got a limit on the suffering. He's going to shape us through the suffering. When God's done with it and he's made us who he wants us to be, he can turn it off. And then if we faithful endure, he's then going to reward us, although he was the one that strengthened us and shaped us through the whole thing. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? I just want to say this as a word of encouragement as we finish today. Friends, you're going to make it. You're going to make it. You're in the fire today. You're going to make it. Follow. Be faithful and endure. That, 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 that fire in Hawaii was so devastating. But did you know there in that town, that really small town, about 14,000 people, that nearly every building was completely devastated by the fire except for two. One was a church on the beach, or excuse me, a house on the beach that was built on rock, was built with rock, and was barricaded by rock. And a house that is built on the rock cannot be burnt down. The other one was a church crazy look it up every building around it burnt to the ground and there's a church now folks i'm here to tell you god takes care of his people god takes care of those who are trusting in him you will, there will be fire, it will be hot, it will scorch, it will smoke, it will scare you, but that does not mean that you need to run and that we need to quit and we need to pack up shop. We need to be faithful to the Lord. We need to continue to march on because when we overcome, we will be given a reward. Let's pray together. You know, there's so many applications of this message, no doubt. But for the church, those three come to mind. Am I laboring for the Lord? Am I protecting myself from false doctrine? Am I being faithful in suffering? I mean, that's really what these marks were. Next week, we're going to look at the warnings to the church. And they're strong. But, but, but God wants you to be encouraged with this question, are you faithful? I'm, we're trying to be as a church. I'm sure there's much more that could be done. But we're trying to be faithful. I hope you will be as well. Are you laboring for the Lord? Are you letting a moment of suffering burn your house to the ground? 
Burn your joy to the ground. Burn your peace to the ground. Burn your ministry to the ground. Don't let it happen, friend. Don't let it happen. Stay on the rock. Stay on the rock and draw the encouragement. It's only here for a little season. Let God shape you. Let God have his way. Let God mold you. Let God work in your life. How many of you would say, preacher, I needed that today. God spoke to me. Would you lift your hand and say, I needed that today. God helped me with that today. Good, good, amen, amen. Somebody said one time, if you preach to the suffering, you'll never lack for an audience. And I agree, I agree. I want to encourage you today, if God spoke to your heart about faithfulness, as Holly is playing, why don't you come to the altar today and just say, God, I needed to hear that word today. I was here because you had a word for me today. You had a word for me today. I want to encourage you to come and pray. Spend some time here. Maybe somebody will pray with you. Maybe you want somebody to pray with you. Just come and say, Lord, I needed that. Boy, I needed that. That was for me. You come as I continue the invitation. You spend the time with the Lord that he has for you. You come right now. Folks are coming to pray. You can pray. You can always come and pray with somebody as well. Let's do what God would have us to do. But I got to ask this final question as I close. Is there anybody here today that say, Preacher, I do not know Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. I do not know Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. If I died, I do not know that I'm going to heaven, but I want to know. Preacher, would you pray for me? Is there anybody like that? You say, Preacher, that's me. I don't know for sure if I know Jesus as my Savior, but I want to know. I want to know. If that's you, would you just lift your hand up? Would you do that? You say, Preacher, that's me. I don't know Christ as Savior. Thank you. Thank you. Is there anybody else? Preacher, I don't know Christ as Savior, but I want to know. I want to know Him. I want to know salvation. I want to know that I'm on my way to heaven. Let's have a word of prayer. As we close, Lord, thank you for this opportunity, Lord, that is ours to... Listen to the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Continue to be our teacher and our shaper. Continue to be there with us and for us and help us to continue faithfully serving you no matter what comes. In Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen.